welcome back to another edition of KL Kai, the podcast. My name is Michael Kraft, and I'm joined as always by our great co-host Bruno Minus. How you doing? Great, man. Good to be here. Hey, good to be back another week. Let's see how long we can keep this going. Our guest this week is the wonderful, the great Chris Udall. He is a BYU Hawaii alumni and a former TEDx Laia speaker. And he is um, doing a lot of great work um, out in the Middle East, promoting peace and working on making priests profitable. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be on with you all. I don't know if I can live up to that quite uh, or that good of an introduction there, but uh, but I'm happy to be here. Hey, Chris, I have, hey, a, we're glad. I have a question for you, Chris. How did you end up in BYU-Hawaii? That's a great question. Um, I did uh, two years of volunteer service, community development work in southern Mexico, and uh, was exposed to some work with uh, youth who were involved with Loseta drug cartel. Um, and I was exposed to, you know, a lot of different conflicts uh, in that region. So coming back, uh, I was working construction, building uh, LDS temples in Gilbert, Arizona. And I thought, you know, it'd sure be better to, to go to Hawaii and go to school and and maybe I should be uh, a college grad rather than a, a full-time construction worker. My back just wasn't wide up, wasn't quite up to uh, uh, the stonework I was doing, I don't think. So I actually got rejected uh, when I applied. Oh, wow. Which was, was quite a funny story. So I applied in the summer for the fall semester, and they took one look at my, I think it was ACT or SAT score, one of those tests I took and didn't realize what it was when I was taking it. And they said, no, thank you. Oh, wow. But uh, I went ahead and, and uh, sent them an email and said, no, look, you don't understand. I, I have a really strong uh, passion to be there at this time in my life. And, and he emailed me back and said, okay, we'll get you in this summer. So I had about a week between when I got accepted and when I had to show up for classes. Wow, that's a real quick turnaround. Well, um, what what was that like for you, kind of going through BYU Hawaii? What, like, what was that experience like for you? How did you like that? Uh, incredible. Um, absolutely loved my time at BYU Hawaii. You know, it's always better in the rearview mirror. Once you start getting close to your senior year, you're kind of getting frustrated with some of the administrative stuff and, and some of the bureaucracy is getting you down a little. But, but boy, looking back, you, you sure realize... Uh, what a what a privilege it is to be among the few students who who get accepted to that that small beautiful college out there. We feel like that with you, you really take the the school motto to heart, right? You enter to learn, go forth to serve. Um, you mentioned that your mentor he had passed away in what was it Afghanistan? Yeah. Um, I remember uh, one of our writers is Eli. Eli Hadley wrote a story about you, and it, it talks about your time in Jordan. Um, how did you end up in Jordan, out of out of one of those countries instead of the straight to Afghanistan, but straight to uh, to Jordan? Yeah, I had signed up for a conference my senior year, uh, 
uh, peace building conference, ha happened to be in Utah. Uh, and I was assigned to a group with a professor named Nadia Oyet, who uh, was a Jordanian professor teaching at Georgetown. And she started to talk to me about uh, all of the issues that the youth were facing, uh, especially joining extremist causes, uh, mainly because of lack of economic opportunity. And I thought, well, I've got a construction background and, and I know, you know, I think I know at least a thing or two about peace building and, and maybe combining those will help. And she introduced me to a guy named Mohammed Al-Tarawne. He was a Facebook friend is how we were introduced. <laughs> and that was enough. Uh, I flew out there. I met with Mohammed Al-Tarawne and things just started uh, working and accelerating quickly. Um, we started with three schools, and it quickly expanded to, to seven, and then 12, and then 15. And, uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, there you go. And um, in your TED Talk, I guess, um, that's, where, that's how we met, uh, working on, on that together. But um, you, you talk about making peace profitably and talk about how uh, you want to not so much tackle the symptom, you know, of of these bad systems of, of terrorism or sexual trafficking, um, but kind of working at the root of like the, the actual um, disease, as you put it. How did you kind of get to that point and, and where are you now with that? Well, when I gave my TED Talk, I was heavily involved in uh, working with anti-sex uh, trafficking, so child sex and organ trafficking. Uh, I had been working with leaders of the Latin Kings gang uh, in my community here in Indiana um, to map out a financial, basically a profit and loss statement, so a P&L of what that industry looks like in my, my community, uh, to figure out ways in which you can find the weak points to uh, defund it, uh, which is where my passion for uh, or not necessarily passion, but my realization that, that helping the pimp or the trafficker is something that no one's addressing, uh, which was really challenged um, when I was in Romania. Just before you know, the whole COVID broke down, I was actually evacuated out of Romania uh, due to COVID. Uh, but I was conducting a, a financial investigation of child sex and organ trafficking uh, in some of the illicit uh, network trafficker network brothels there. And, you know, when you're in a room with a pimp that you know is a trafficker and, and you're looking at a young girl who uh, has the scars that are indicative of uh, having your kidney harvested, it, it really challenges you. Uh, in your belief that you can help the pimp <laughs> or or help the trafficker when you, when you see what they're doing, uh, and I can tell you in that moment, I my reaction I wanted to just take the Kleshnikov uh, <laughs> off the table and and uh, and uh, go Liam Neeson in the room, but uh, it really hit me, you know, after that surge of 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 passion. Uh, left that, you know, that really is the answer, that this guy really didn't wake up that morning thinking, boy, what a great life I can build uh, and become a pimp and a trafficker. 
and do all these things, but it was a slow process. You know, he or she, I mean, he or she really is an entrepreneur, if you think about it. They, they innovate in that illicit space to create an economic means of security for them and for their families. And what kind of things can I do um, to help them at those really critical stages of, of personal life innovation uh, to get them on a different track, something that's more uh, beneficial to the community as far as uh, trades that are developed. I was going to ask, um, were some of these groups like really anti-human trafficking? Some of the groups. So like, I, I, Which, so I don't know, uh, Latin Kings or people in Romania. Oh, well, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was, I was mainly talking to pimps and traffickers. So I was uh, going into the brothels and, and talking with people uh, that were firsthand in the industry, building out a financial model of exactly how this industry runs and operates. Who, where's the money going? Who's getting the money? Um, and building out a, a financial spreadsheet uh, that can be used in, in helping identify where we can attack the industry where it's weakest, right? And and we found that spot. It's it's the the stage in which youth are are leaving child welfare programs, and there's a there's a, a lack of handoff there where they can't go into a job, so they they get recruited by these lover boys in the network that uh, uh, bring them into these trafficking rings and uh, ends up being their their life after that so wow anyway it's a real heavy conversation yeah i, I didn't mean to <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> jump it's, jump straight down that rabbit hole but uh, i think it's a reality that people should address we shouldn't just uh ignore it i mean people are, are a little bit more aware with the epstein case um because for a long time it yeah. was just rumors and hearsay and conspiracy now it's it's been you know brought to the table that this is true and these are horrible things that people do to each other and yeah What's kind of been, I guess, your, your experience with that? I know you talked about how when you're in Romania and you were, and you were um, at that table with um, the pimp and, and that woman that you kind of were like, man, I, I, I kind of hate this person. Like, they're doing horrible things. What has that been like for you kind of like across the board of as you kind of try and help these people who are involved in these illicit um, and horrible um, businesses or activities and... And how do you kind of find the motivation to, to be like, look, I, I want to help you so that you're not doing this anymore. So you don't have to turn to this and hurt other people. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that, that uh, I can actually help anyone. I, I don't know that, you know, I, I have that ability, but, but I would sure like to help provide opportunities to, to give more choice. To those groups, I know a lot of of youth are joining illicit causes and, and become illicit entrepreneurs and tradesmen and women uh, out of necessity. And so, in in my, uh, I guess my passion is to innovate in that space. You know, find the underrepresented, the underserved uh, communities. Uh, where there are a lot of youth that are joining these these types of trades and and innovating in that space of youth-centric economic development. Uh, in fact, I, I just launched another company um, 
three weeks ago, actually, uh, called Illicit Innovations, where we work with illicit entrepreneurs uh, in coming up with these types of solutions uh, in an effort to consult governments and tribal leaders and community advocacy groups in best practices. And basically, it's a design and innovation firm. So we, we ideate implementable solutions that these governments can then use to, to help their youth uh, have more opportunity. And, and that's, I think that's the key, is really just exposing them and, and helping them find these opportunities. Oftentimes, governments, uh, when they need someone to consult them on a gang or a drug cartel or a trafficking ring, you know, the only person that's offering that type of consulting is usually the police force or the military. Uh, and their answer is is usually fairly biased. And, you know, you give us more funding and we'll solve the problem. And uh, having a third party consulting group, in my opinion, is is a good is a step in the right direction to to not just say, hey, we're here to shut you down, but we're here to innovate you out of business, uh, get you into a more profitable uh, and maybe not more profitable, but certainly more wholesome uh, way of life. How often are the the pimps and the traffickers willing to to change their lifestyle? You know, I don't have the statistic on that. Yeah, I do know in the case of the ones that I've spoken to, uh, the willingness is there. Okay, uh, especially in the case of of some of these uh, older older folks who have been in it for a while. Um, but a lot of it, again, is, I mean, the, the economic vacuum that these people are coming mm-hmm. from uh, is, is palpable. You, you feel it when you hear them speak. They're very desensitized. Um, you know, you can say there's opportunities, but what they hear is, yeah, sure, for other people, but not for me. So holding their hand through the process of, of these different opportunities in these different spaces is is uh it's important are they themselves educated or is it just kind of like they kind of grew up on the streets themselves a lot of them have failed out of the education system or have uh left because what they started doing has become more profitable you know in the case of cartels you make a lot of money as a a, a lookout or a hawk than you do, you know, going to school. And, and that's an immediate uh, financial return. For sure. Um, Bruno kind of talked about this a little bit before, kind of about how in the past, uh, these sort of industries have kind of been less known about or the spotlight hasn't been so much on them. Um, but now I feel like, I mean, everybody knows about um, sex trafficking and, and, and all of these sort of illicit uh, groups. How do you kind of go about? Because um, I know that you're trying to. I mean, the ultimate goal is to prevent this kind of thing from happening altogether. I guess, big picture wise, I would imagine. But kind of, how do you how do you go about? Um, I guess because you guys work with. It sounds like people who are um, poor or, or or youth. But how do you go about working with them? but also kind of recognizing the fact that there are also bigger, um, I guess, fish out there, kind of like the Jeffrey Epstein's of the world. You know, I mean, we work with, with recruiters that are, you know, older, that are in these industries. Um, 
And it's, it's always hard when you meet people who are customers of these industries that uh, find a lot of uh, pleasure from, from these groups. They're willing to pay a lot of money for it. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's disheartening, but it is also, you know, not new to the world. It's, it's something that people do. Um, people pay for stuff in the illicit spaces. So it's, it's kind of a, a dual relation. But I think getting back to, you know, what I learned at BYU Hawaii, I mean, uh, I studied uh, intercultural uh, peace building while I was there and intercultural communications. And if you can sum up that entire degree, and you know, you got to be careful summing up an entire degree. But for me, you sum up the whole thing. It's how do you be a friend to someone? And how do you influence that friend to be a friend to others? Right? Very simple. And you see someone who's a pimp, who's a trafficker, you think, boy, you're evil. But you take a step back and you say, what you do for a living is, is evil, but you inherently are not. And you, as a person, are going to be my friend. But that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with what you do for a living. Just like how most of my family's lawyers, and I don't agree with what they do. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the law profession, but it uh, wasn't for me. Uh, kind of going off what Michael said, how do you, how would one, how would somebody, let's say in our audience, would want to like start working with those types of people, like like what you do? Like, how would someone want to start doing that? Well, it's not. Um, it's not the safest career move yeah. <laughs> to make <laughs> in, in several areas. One, it's not going to pay very well. Uh, two, you know, actively seeking out individuals in these industries is also has elements of risk to it, right? Um, I'm not, I don't think you paint your, your, a target on your back um, per se, but but uh, it exposes you to things that, that are hard to see, that are hard to stomach, um, you know, that cause uh, you to stay up at night, right? Uh, so my advice would be, one, make sure you're ready. Two, you're never going to be ready. So just do it. Uh, and then deal with the aftermath, right? If, if, you, if you feel that... Uh, this is something you are called to or, or, or drawn towards. No one is likely going to hire you to do this unless you have experience. And there's no way you're going to get experience unless you just go out and, and, and befriend people in these industries and, and learn what you can about it. You know, you can go get a whole master's degree on this, on the topic. Um, I I didn't, but uh, I'm now paid to teach uh, master's level courses in this subject because of of, of the field work that I've done. So, um, it's it's yeah, it's it's a tough industry to get into. But anything in the nonprofit world is a little tough to get into, just because of the amount of talent they have wanting to work for them and then the lack of resources that generally they have. I, I definitely agree with you because I have a friend. We were roommates in our mission. We were, we were I, was, I was sent to the Philippines 
and he went into this mm-hmm. kind of work himself and he, he told me very little of what he did and he said it's not for everybody and like like you said like there's like like the money is not that great but like he he felt like he was doing like a, like something bigger than him and I, f- I thought it was very noble of him to to help people the especially uh i guess victims but um but yeah he said it's not it's not yeah, for everybody you- yeah, you you definitely get paid an impact, <laughs> but uh, but it can be done. I mean, I I fundamentally believe that the nonprofit structure is 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 wrong, right? Uh, I don't think that you know charities. I I think charities should be working on a f- more for profit model or a hybrid model, right? At least have an earned income revenue stream. Um, so I'm, I'm a big supporter of social entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurs, um, that can figure out how to solve a problem by making money, because that's exactly what the illicit entrepreneurs are doing to create the problem in the first place. Um, which is why we're, we're so focused on our nonprofit side in, in fostering entrepreneurship, especially social entrepreneurship. For sure. You 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 said you just um, started a, a new company a couple of weeks ago. I don't know you you've uh, you founded um, at least one other one. How do you kind of go about doing that? Starting a company, where where do you begin? By jumping right in. Uh, I mean, the first time you do it, you're just swimming around with all this legal jargon and and paperwork, and you don't know what's going on. But uh, if you surround yourself with good mentors who know what they're doing, you know, by company six or seven, you've kind of figured it out and, uh, and you, can, you can move forward. So, so this company I, I just started is actually a rollover uh, from the growth strategy firm that I had started uh, called Clarity Road, um, which it's just more of an extension to that, uh, mainly just being it's for social impact, but it is a for-profit design and innovation firm. So I, I think the way uh, to do entrepreneurship really is just to do it. Um, and, and, you know, I always hate the cliche of just hustle and, and have grit because I hated hearing it and I still hate hearing it. <laughs> um, but I would say if, if you feel drawn to that, you know, not everyone is, but if, if that's something you're drawn to, you know, jump jump right in and, and try and start something. Start it small and, and scale it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cheaper to start a company and fail generally than it is to go get a graduate degree. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a graduate degree right now, so I, I make that joke. Um, take it with a grain of salt there. But... Uh, but yeah. There you go. Uh, we're getting close to our time, so I just want to ask one last question before we wrap up. Um, what has been, I guess, the most impactful um, kind of kind of part of, of what you do? Um, what what's been, I guess, the most rewarding aspect of it? You know, anytime I get to hear from my students, it just there's no words to describe that, right? 
anytime I can talk to someone that I've worked with uh, and helped get out of uh, the trafficking industry um, and see how they're doing, it there's there's really no words to describe that feeling. Uh, watching my my students uh, after the after ISIS had attacked the Al Karak Castle in the Kingdom of Jordan. Um, you know, my students knew some of the people that were the perpetrators of the attack. They were both youth in the same village. There was a lot of, or there was a lack of economic opportunity uh, for them there. And they decided rather than, you know, stand idly by that they were going to make a statement. And they requested to rebuild that castle, uh, which they did. And when they finished, they hung a banner that said in Arabic, in the wake of violent conflict, we will rebuild for peace which became the name of our nonprofit, Rebuild for Peace. And that moment, uh, watching them repair bullet holes in a 13th century crusader castle, uh, watching them paint murals in honor of the fallen who gave their lives to protect the tourists that were inside, watching them plant olive trees as a symbol of peace in the garden surrounded by other flowers, and organize a community event to address uh, extremism in their community, all youth-led. Uh, that moment of pride uh, when you see the difference that can be made when you show someone there's an opportunity or that there's a different path or, or just believing in someone. I mean, I don't think I do real great things Honestly, I, I honestly, if I could say what my job is, one, I beg for money for a living. And <laughs> two, I just tell people, good job. I'm proud of you. Keep going. Keep fighting. And those kind of things mean a lot to people. A lot can be done if you believe in other people. So if I have to say, you know, one, one parting thought is, is make sure you're that person for someone else. If you live your life and you're always trying to be the person who believes and, and builds someone else and sits down with them and says, hey, let's innovate your life. Like, let's, let's innovate together uh, on some possible solutions here. You know, you're, you're going to be filled with a lot, of, a lot of happy memories to look back on, and you're certainly going to have a lot of friends. Hey, there you go. I could not agree with you more there. Um, but that is our time and we'll be back next week. You can find us on Instagram at Kelkai pod. Um, and we'll put in uh, a link for Chris's Ted talk that he gave last year or at the beginning of this year, uh, in the description of this episode, but thanks so much Chris for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, it was a pleasure being here. I appreciate it. All right. We will be back next week at the same time. Peace.